I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And that, I think, was that absolute moment where you, you realize I've just found my purpose. You've found that place where your skills intersect with your passion and you've all of a sudden got this massive discretionary energy to do something about the problem. What matters most? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Joining me this morning is mother of two, raised on a farm in the Eyre Peninsula and now passionate about giving kids in regional and rural Australia a chance to chase their dreams and to actually get ahead. Good morning, Sarah Prime. Good morning, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Now, when I read your resume and your bio, I'm a bit taken aback. You know, what haven't you done? (laughs) (laughs) You might have been raised in South Australia and in a very rural setting, but is that why you're so passionate about regional kids? Well, I'll tell you a secret. When I was living on the farm, that is what I was very, very passionate about as a young rural person. But as a teenager, I spent all of my high school years plotting my exit from rural Australia never to return. I was sure I was going to go and live in a city somewhere or go travelling around the world. And um, that wasn't to be my fate at the end of the day. It's funny how life gives you these sort of road signs that, you know, they're forks in the road that you can go either way. And for me, I kept ignoring them and eventually got a big kick up the backside and sort of a, a sign that pointed back to rural Australia and said, you belong here, silly. Get back down there. Do what you do well. You often can't really run away from who you are and your beginnings <laughs> do shape you uh, inevitably so profoundly. But when I look at your resume, you founded Champions Academy in 2015. You're the national winner of Agri Futures Rural Women's Award 2015 as well. Telstra Business Women's Award 2016. W100 Mentor in Residence 2020. So you led a corporate life after leaving the country and then you've come full circle. And now it's all about championing and finding the Champions Academy and setting up what you believe is a way forward, a roadmap for kids from regional and rural Australia to chase not just their dreams, but find out what makes them dream big. Would that be a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely it would. And, you know, I, as I was living in up in Kununurra and over in Cairns, I would come back to where my family was still based in Air Peninsula and I would see that it was going through these changes, this sort of process of contraction. But it wasn't until I came down here in 2012 with an intention to stay and I went back to visit the place that I came from and saw this, I guess this landscape through a new lens that I realised how dire the problem actually was and how important it was going to become to engage the next generation in the process of revitalising rural regions. I grew up in this tiny town called Dart Peak which had really become a ghost town for all intents and purposes and as I drove back to where I was basing myself in the coastal town of Port Neal 
I continued to see these towns, which in my upbringing, they were still thriving communities, albeit small, but they were now just faded road signs that people sped past on their way to somewhere else. And I thought to myself, well, how can I use those skills that I've gathered in my corporate career to teach this younger generation how to, I guess, recognise the role that they can play in shaping the future of the community where they live now in their rural community so that this process doesn't happen to them as well? Well, I'm assuming then you must have found a fair degree of disenfranchised, disillusionment. Is that true? Yeah, that'd be fair to say. I think for such a long time, a lot of people had been doing things the way that they were always done, a lot of conventional practices and traditional mindsets. And it took for something pretty dire to happen and for some pretty disenfranchised people to sit up and say, no, I don't want this to happen in my community. And all I really did was show people a way that they can approach problem solving from the point of view of, you know, solving human pain points and innovating and entrepreneurialising the ideas that they had so that they could actually give something back to their community that might help it move out of a holding pattern of survival and towards a time when they might be, um, you know, socially cohesive and, and economically prospering again. And, you know, there's no better person to have that conversation with, in my opinion, than children because they just haven't got these blinkers on that we've got as adults. They haven't yet grown up and matured into this state of mind that says, oh, no, we can't do that because it never worked when we tried it before or, oh, no, there's a rational reason why that won't work. They don't always have the logic. They just have these blank canvases on which then they've got the courage to create anything that their their imagination can design. and so. You know, I say, why not unleash that on the world and see what they come up with, give them the tools to make it happen. Can you give me some examples or instances when conversations or moments in time with children in regional and rural Australia triggered a thought process and this whole movement where you've decided they need help and you can deliver it? Yeah, I can. I remember distinctly um, a Champions Academy session that I was running many years ago now And I had organised a guest speaker to come in and talk about how to, you know, put on a big event in your community that would be a great fundraiser. I thought it was a valuable skill that these people could learn. But what happened was that the speaker cancelled and the night before I was left trying to scramble around thinking, well, what can I do? What can I show these people that will instill some kind of belief and courage in them to try something new? And so I thought, I'll tell them the history of their region, the history of their league or their football and netball club and show them the process that it's been through to arrive at what it is today. And what ended up on the screen was this sort of mind map, if you like, of what was a four-team association, football clubs, which used to be almost 40 different clubs. Each of these clubs had a lineage that went back a long way. And all of those, those you know, little towns on that map, they weren't just footy clubs that no longer existed. They were communities that no longer existed. And one of the young people in the, in the group put up her hand and pointed to one of the names on the screen and she said, that says Carper. My family have got a farm at Carper. And I said, oh, yeah, can you describe to us what's there? And she said, well, there's nothing there. It's just a farm. And I said, well, that's exactly right. Once this was a town, once this was a region, and I'm sure the people that lived in that region never had any reason to believe that it wouldn't always be a town, but for some reason it's no longer there. And all of these other Um, all of these other names on the screen, the same thing has happened. So what can we do differently 
How can we think differently? How can we be brave, find the courage to come up with an idea for our local community to reinvigorate it? What might we do differently? And we really just started looking from that point in time at turning around and teaching leadership skills to younger people to get them involved in decision-making, to have them around the table when you're planning the future of your community, your club, your grassroots organisation, and giving them a say. For that original club where Champions Academy was established, they've come up with an incredible amount of innovation and entrepreneurship, which has seen their club more profitable than it's ever been, stimulating more social cohesion and economic diversity in the region and directly, you know, for the businesses within the town. So I guess you could say they've really learned that it's important for them to take a lead role in doing that. It sounds to me like you're trying to help people find their voice and find their tribe. It feels like the essence of identity is at the very core of this. Yeah, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. I think something that rural communities in particular have that you don't always see in a metropolitan and urban areas is this very strong sense of place, like you belong to something that's bigger than yourself, but on a very personal level, not just on a um, population density scale. And I think that the people who live in rural regions are raised to understand that you need to be very resilient and very resourceful and to give without the expectation of receiving something in return. And that when you do that, this family, this tribe, this um, very strong sense of mateship and identity in a town will always have your back. It will always make you feel like you belong there. It will always make you feel like no matter what you're going through, you're not going through it alone. And, you know, that was something that I've experienced firsthand. You know, when I said I grew up on a farm in Dark Peak, I was seven years old when we left that property and it wasn't because we chose to move into town. It was because it was no longer viable for us to farm. Times of, of intense localised drought, the 80s and 90s peak interest rates and just plunging prices in the commodities. And so for us to move into this tiny town of Dark Peak, it was one of, of pretty severe financial hardship, very distressing, I'm sure, for my mum and dad at the time. And we as kids probably witness things that we, we hope we never have to witness again, whether in our own lives or for our kids to witness in us. And yet for some reason, when our family talks about Dark Peak and the time we spent there, we all reflect on it as being some of the happiest years of our lives. Now, there's something pretty special about that identity and that sense of place in that rural community and what it must have given to us to reflect on it in that way. It's something that I think about quite often. I think all of us sit there in our prism of self, looking out, wondering what else is out there? What else do I need to explore and discover? And then when you get out there, you sort of realise it's what made you. Is that the kind of conversation you find having with these kids? And at what age are they reaching out to you, chasing that chance to be relevant and find their voice? You know, relevance, a great mentor once taught me, is one of the first or the first social cognitive need of the human brain. And so for us to know our relevance and our tribe is critical to us feeling safe and content and capable of becoming the best version of ourselves. And those formative experiences that we have very much shape us, whether it is trauma or distress or whether it is a sense of accomplishment and achievement. We have these huge tests in life and I guess our job is to 
learn how to overcome them with the skills and resources that we have available to us. It's never too early to be teaching those skills and to be instilling those beliefs and skills in kids. I think from the earliest possible age, we need to teach kids how to champion change for their own survival and achievement and growth. So I say it's never too early, Sandra. Well, the Champions Academy is a mentoring and development framework, helping people recognise their full potential. Now, that's all great corporate speak, but one-on-one in a rural community, when you say you're about promoting champions, I feel like you're really just helping people find their self, find their strengths, find their voice and be happy with who they are. Well, that's, that's certainly a huge part of it. I think what else we're giving them is we're teaching them how to give without the expectation of receiving something in return. And that's that thinking outside of yourself moment. We're teaching them how to carry responsibility with integrity, how to carry a commitment and follow through on something. And I think these are all pretty fundamental building blocks of being a well-rounded human, whether you live in a rural area or um, whether you live in the city no matter what life path you choose, I think that they're all parts of, yeah, as I said, living your best life. The way that we do this with schools, we go through year threes, year fives, year sevens and secondary programs teaching different levels of that information. So for a grade three, for example, we might start by teaching them about the human brain and how we can only solve complex problems when we know we're using our upper brain. So we spend a lot of time teaching them about their core strengths and beliefs and how to activate that part of the brain that helps them to problem solve and helps them to have empathy. Year fives, we teach them about the power of influence and about choosing role models instead of just looking up to people who are famous. We talk to them about becoming a role model because no matter how old you are, other people are looking up to you and learning from you. We teach them about the need to break down barriers of parochialism and to collaborate in ways that they might not naturally feel inclined to because of, you know, any kind of history behind their geography or their families or those sorts of things. In our Year 7 groups, we're talking to them about problem hunting. What problems can we find that if we were to solve them, we'd create shared value for our community and spur new enterprise or new social prosperity? And of course, in teenagers, um, we're really deep diving into that entrepreneurship. So I guess there's, there's a lot of different layers to Champions Academy. In the sporting clubs and the grassroots, it's a lot more about reinvesting in the value system of volunteerism and understanding, you know, what it takes to keep a community group running just so that the community itself has something that pulls it together, like an unofficial support network, something that offers relief from the isolation of rural living. For all the parents out there, those who have a younger one in their life, sometimes I think the hardest thing is to convince them that they can be a leader. How do you cut through the jargon of leadership and stepping out of your comfort zone to be a better person and to do the right thing and convince them that it's possible for them? Yeah, I I don't even think you know sometimes when you're a kid what leadership means essentially even as an adult I don't I don't think you necessarily can describe exactly what it means but you know it as an action and so sometimes in talking to young children all they need is a little bit of belief in them and whatever it is that's within them will come out some people are going to lead from the front 
some people are going to lead by bringing other people with them, leading from within. And other people are going to lead by very silently digging around, finding out answers to questions and building up their domain knowledge or building up their resources. And that might mean that they're an enabler for others. So leadership is going to happen in so many different ways. And I think it is really daunting if you say to someone, I'm going to teach you how to be a leader, because their instant thought may be, well, what happens if I fail? What happens if I'm not good enough to be a leader? What happens if I don't know what to do? And sometimes I like to hide. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. I'm an absolute introvert. I don't think that it looks like it from the outside sometimes, but (laughs) I, I love to hide under my rock. But I think it can be really scary even when you're an adult as well. You know, in my corporate career, I rose up the ladder pretty quickly and I I had this shocking imposter syndrome. I had no idea that not everyone knows all the answers. (laughs) I had no idea that even people with this vast domain knowledge and lived experience still live in fear that someone's going to throw a question at them that they don't know the answer to. Or they may be found out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Someone's going to find out I'm a fraud. But I think that was a really valuable learning experience for me because it was at that point that I understood fully the importance of having mentors in your life and that I wanted to be a mentor to other people who hadn't learned that lesson yet, who hadn't had that experience yet. So I build mentoring structure into everything that I do with Champions Academy. I bring guest speakers in. I connect people as buddies or mentors in between demographics or across boundaries of geography or uh, age or interest areas. It's so important to have an objective sounding board or a champion for your cause, a champion for you. There was a bit of gold just before when you broke down the word leadership and you said you don't necessarily have to lead from the front. You can lead from within. You can lead in your own way. And so the title, the brand can alienate people, but it doesn't have to. You're teaching people another way. People, kids, adults, whoever's in your orbit, that it's about the way you live your life, the way you think. And like you say, it's not necessarily about receiving, but just giving without expectation. That's exactly right. And, you know, I I think of all of the great leaders who I've learned something from. Sometimes a leader is just someone who has the courage to say no, where others might conform or say yes or feel pressure. It can be the most simple act which constitutes leadership sometimes. Often it takes a huge amount of bravery, even if you don't appear to have the self-belief, just the the courage to stand by your beliefs. Yeah, it, it, it really is quite diverse in how people will show what leadership is. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
there's so much meat in your sandwich, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, all these layers, it's so impressive. Which is the hardest group or the most challenging group, age group, to deal with? Oh, that's a good one. Um, it really does vary. It varies because you might get adults who come into your sporting club program. We might work with people in their 20s, 30s and 40s in the Champions Academy Sporting Clubs program. And they might come in there with very strong core beliefs. That can be tough to break through because really what you're trying to do is help them recode their narrative and set aside those self-serving agendas and, and core beliefs that may have been making them blind to the bigger picture, which really is. We've got to be able to collaborate if we're going to evolve because if we don't evolve, we don't survive. But the toughest groups that I find, oh, I'm terrified of kids. There's another secret for you. <laughs> when we do school programs. <laughs> You're saying this out loud. <laughs> I know. No, I absolutely adore working with them. But I don't know how to tell them to sit down and listen very well. So I just have to make sure I'm really good at saying something that engages them. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> that is the hard part. How do you tame that enthusiasm and keep the eyes on the prize, so to speak? Do you have to sort of regularly drop in really cool sort of singers and artists so they think you're actually with it? <laughs> I'll be quickly checking the charts and Instagram because how big an issue is it, that social media influencer market, and how do you get them off that ledge, which is just madness? Oh, my goodness. It really is. It terrifies me. You know, I think about all of these people who are influencers in the celebrity space, and so many of them are not healthy role models. I've got a, a great story of a mother of one of the kids who went through Champions Academy who talked about a particular cricket player who had fallen from grace, who was absolutely his idol. And she told me one day about the very sad day he came home from school and he pulled that poster off his wall because he recognised that what that cricket player had done was wrong and he didn't feel like he could believe in him anymore. And I thought, wow, that shows huge emotional maturity because a lot of other people wouldn't have recognised that what that person did wasn't right because they were still in the public eye after that. They were still making the team. They were still representing our country. Now, they might be a great person, but they did a really crappy thing. And other kids are going to be looking up to that and thinking, oh, that's okay because he's famous. He can get away with it. But there are a lot of people who don't have that emotional maturity. And how do you try and help them to choose those healthy role models? And I guess the answer to that question is you teach them how to be a role model themselves and what the core elements are of a healthy role model. And you ask them to question everyone else they look up to and say, is that person leading the change that you want to see in the world? Is that person building a better place for us all to be able to exist by what they're doing? And if they're not, perhaps I'm not supposed to be learning from them. I think everyone acknowledges it's a really hard place the world right now for kids, teenagers and adults alike let alone for those in regional and rural communities. We're all that much more connected. But then when you live in a smaller community, how much of your problem is kids being online, connecting with the world and that unreal space that's dominated by influences and the madness of social media? Yeah, it's tough. It really is. And I guess it would be a sweeping generalisation to say that all kids are on social media seeing these things or that all kids in rural areas are playing outside and not on the internet because I think that there is a degree of that infiltration no matter where you live. 
Schools are trying really hard to model the right kinds of behaviours in screen use and things like that. But I just don't know how you can ever protect anyone fully from it because it's almost like this wild, untamed beast that keeps finding ways into our lives and we do rely so heavily on technology to exist no matter who we are or where we base ourselves. But I try and weigh it up with the kind of eternal optimism that we've got to use this for good and not evil, if you like. We've got to find ways to use this medium to encourage and promote those skills and those pathways that are healthy and to find ways and examples for kids to be able to do that. So if they are going to be online, give them the places that they can go online to find those tools that we know we need. Well, that's the great thing about being so connected these days is your reach is vast and wide. You've got enormous corporate support. What's the take-up been like? It is really hard, I'll be honest. Geographically, where we're based, we're on the west coast of South Australia, and I think, you know, we've often heard the, the phrase tyranny of distance in Australia. Well, the further away you live from a large rural centre, the more difficult it is to scale a business that isn't just predominantly online. So scaling has been quite slow. Take-up has been quite slow in the Grassroots Sporting Club program. And so what we decided to do was to look at working with schools as a different approach or a different way of reaching another demographic. That has been a lot easier to to generate interest and take-up because unlike the sporting clubs who might only operate sort of six months of the year when they're in season and then it takes another six months to make decisions, schools are making decisions about leadership and personal development and professional development all the time. So the take-up's been quite good there, but we are only at the beginning of that growth curve. COVID came along just as we were going into schools and suddenly we weren't able to go on site anymore. So I'm hoping that 2021 is a year that we can really test that take-up and see if this is something that the education system wants and needs and find out who we can partner with to reach as many children as possible, no matter where they're based. Because it's something we so love doing, we're so passionate about, and it gives us a massive boost to see the outcomes of kids who, who come through our programs. As far as the Grassroots Sporting Club program goes, we have about a 96% transition rate from graduates of the program into other positions of volunteerism, advocacy and leadership in sporting clubs. It's been profoundly successful in helping people to step up and take their turn at um, contributing to their club and ensuring it has a, a strong future. Well, the online world has taken over by storm because of COVID, so hopefully that's going to help you. And obviously you need the support of the education departments around the country. Another group you have enormous support from is Westpac with their W100 Scholars Network. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was set up about 2017 and they created a $100 million scholarship fund exclusively to benefit a new generation of brilliant young Aussies to um, challenge and explore some new benchmarks. How beneficial has that been to what you're trying to do? And how exciting is it to have a corporate leader like Westpac behind you? You know, they have been incredible. I can't say enough good about, um, particularly about the Westpac social change cohorts that come through and Westpac's ability to get behind people. I'll just make the differentiation here between going through different programs and how Westpac has had an impact on me. 
they've very much said, okay, we love what you're doing, but we don't want to fund your project. We want to empower you to have the biggest positive footprint on the world possible. We want to empower you to be a social change maker on the biggest scale that you can. That's what we're about. We want to get behind you and however we can do that, we will. True to their word, they invested $50,000 in me and sent me away to learn or to um, connect with other people around the world. They empowered me to be able to take the time that I needed to invest into my business as well, applying what I'd learned. And I think other programs and pathways quite often say, oh, we love the work you're doing. It's awesome. Let's get behind that work. And they might fund the program itself, which is also really important. But Westpac, I must say, have continued to reach out and say, would you like to be involved in this? This is coming up. Let us help you to get to it. Would you like to meet this person? We've got this great new person on our team who might be able to give you this knowledge or are there any issues that are roadblocks for you at the moment? How can we help you overcome them? What knowledge do we have in our team that you could benefit from here? Let us share it with you. So they really are in it for the long haul. And when they say the W100, that's all of the recipients of all scholarship streams since the Westpac Foundation established them. You know, it's an ever-growing group of incredibly well-rounded individuals in different streams who all share this knowledge between them, who all continue to draw on Westpac. Now, that's a massive resource to be connected to for life. So anyone out there who's listening, I would strongly encourage you to get involved if you have an idea or a, a hope for the future that you want to see change in the world, because it really has been a really powerful pathway to grow and learn and apply knowledge. It sounds like they've become your champion. Yeah, very much so. It's a great example of what a champion can actually do for you if they believe in what you're about. I think so. You know, I I have a philosophy that a champion is a person whose actions motivate and inspire others and leave a legacy. Not their words, but their actions. And what Westpac are doing isn't just talking about it. They're um, putting their money where their mouth is and they are inspiring action left, right and centre. So they are activating champions. And I guess perhaps that's why they've made such a, a great partner for someone like me. I feel like we're in it for the same reason. There isn't a podcast at the moment that doesn't include COVID and its effects on communities in general. I read that the Australian Bureau of Stats said there's been a massive migration really out of the big cities in Australia and to regional and rural areas where people are chasing a better quality of life. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I am. And I'm seeing a huge amount of people coming through just sort of testing the waters as well. A lot of people driving around and sort of seeing what other towns are within a commutable distance from where they're currently based. I think it's pretty incredible to see that people are obviously recognising that the barriers aren't where they thought they were previously. They thought they had to be based in a city to have this career or they thought they had to be based in a large regional centre to have these opportunities or this quality of life that they'd become accustomed to. I think what they're recognising now is quality of life is really down to what value you place on the experience that you're having. And they're realising that there are places that are more affordable. There are places with bigger backyards and and smaller classrooms with more one-on-one time with teachers. There are places where you don't pay for parking or get caught in traffic jams. (laughs) And I think that they're starting to smell the roses, for lack of a better word, they're stopping to say, okay, well, what is important to me? And they're getting out there and they're living. 
I listened to a chat with you recently and you talked about the first time you went back home after so many years of leading the corporate chase. And when you came home and you walked back into your old school and it was, you know, spin effects and empty buildings and cracked windows, I can't imagine how heartbreaking it was to go back and realise that your town was largely dead. To go back there, I can't describe to you that feeling in the pit of my stomach on that day and thinking to myself, you know, kids who grow up today who come to this town are only going to recognise it as those cracked facades of buildings and the shutters down and they're not ever going to know about that very special sense of mateship that existed here or, you know, the tingling sense of anticipation with arriving at the footy on a Saturday and the whole town would be behind the footy team. They're never going to have that feeling of being in this tiny rural school of 24 kids and feeling like you were a giant family, really. It really did make me quite sad. And I think for the first time, I understood more fully the implications of a town reaching its tipping point of no return. There's a school just down the road from where my farm is in Warminder, and it still has this old sign out the front, which reads, it takes a community to educate a child. And it's fallen off the fence. And right next to it is the signpost that reads, this school closed in 2008. And it's just moments like that where it's a real gut punch and you, you sort of stop and think to yourself, it's not just sad, it's doing something else. What's this feeling inside me? It's, it's not just anger, it is determination to never, ever let someone else have to have this feeling that I'm having right now. And that, I think, was that absolute moment where you, you realise I've just found my purpose. You've found that place where your skills intersect with your passion and you've all of a sudden got this massive discretionary energy to do something about the problem. Is it also because you don't want those stories to be lost? It was so many lives lived. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes back to that a champion is a person who leaves a legacy. Well, they carry it forward. They learn from one generation and they turn around and they teach it to the generation after them. Because those stories are our history. They are what made us who we are. That's where our community culture comes from. That's where our core beliefs often stem from. And the experiences we had in those areas are what have shaped us in our formative years. So they're critical. We've got to, we've got to be able to pass those stories on somehow because the towns themselves can't do it anymore, you know, and that has to be part of what we do. A big part of what you do as well is helping kids be entrepreneurial. Mm. How does that work? Well, it's letting kids be kids. (laughs) (laughs) They are very, very good at it. I gave some kids last week, I I ran a um, a Year 7 program, which we call Future Shapers, and I gave them a task. I gave them a mystery box full of paper clips and string and a bit of plasticine and um, balloons, something else, you know, all these different things. And I gave them a, a list of the council's strategic priorities in their area. And I let them choose an idea from this list of priorities that they could develop a prototype for. And, you know, they came up with an idea and they acted it out, this prototype. They did a skit, like a television advert. A guy was fishing and he caught a fish with his little pipe cleaner fishing rod. He sold the fish to a shopkeeper and then the shopkeeper sold it to a customer. The customer bought it and he ate it and he realised that there was rubbish in this fish. And so the motto was, if you don't throw your rubbish in the bin, you're going to end up eating it someday. But the advert was all about, join us for this walkathon that we're going to have. 
where we pick up all of the rubbish while we're in our walkathon, and whoever picks up the most rubbish at the end of it wins this holiday that the council will provide. I just thought, what a fantastic way for them to entrepreneurialize. And they put into context a problem in their community, the economic impact on the community, and then went around through the social impact channels to come full circle. I just thought that was really clever. You know, they've done that in a little 10-minute mystery challenge. So they're pretty clever at entrepreneurialising naturally. The stories must energise you and these kids must just keep you engaged. I mean, you get even more, don't you? You get even more all the time. You really do. You know, it's exhausting being in a full day of Champions Academy in a school, but you come home absolutely filled with optimism for the future and filled with stories that the kids have told you all day and the questions that they've asked you. They really do come out with some absolute corkers and I think I must be the luckiest person in the world to be able to do that for a day job. It's pretty special. Well, I have to say, Sarah Prime, you're pretty special. We applaud your work, congratulate you on everything you've achieved so far. We'll watch with interest as your network explodes across Australia and I I can only imagine how many children will be thrilled and parents will be grateful. Congratulations for everything you do and thanks for spending some time with us here at Short Black. Thanks so much, Sandra. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.